0: if i haven't met you before i say welcome so glad that you're here so i have a question for you to kind of get us started tonight or today if you're with us sunday morning i have a question how many of you have siblings Put your hand up if you have a sibling. So yeah, so there's quite a few of you in the audience that have siblings. Um, I do too, I have an older brother and a younger sister, and so my extended family isn't too big, or my immediate family, sorry, isn't too big, but my extended family is actually huge. My dad is one of 10 kids. And so for my grandparents, there was 10 kids. And when I was growing up as a grandchild in the Ludwig household, there were about 45 to 50 of us that lived in Prince George. None of my cousins, aunts and uncles, grandparents, anybody lived in a different city. We all lived here in Prince George. And my grandma was literally four foot 11, and she was one of the most amazing cooks. And so we would have family dinner for Christmas and for Easter and Thanksgiving and we would all go to my grandparents' house. And my grandma and grandpa lived in this tiny little house in South Fort George. It was about 900 square feet. And 45, 50 of us would pack into that house for Christmas dinner. And so when when dinner came when it was time for supper, uh, grandma would lay out like all of the foods and it was kind of like an assembly, you know, like a buffet line, assembly line and you'd go through and get your food and you'd kind of wanted to be near the beginning, not so much because you were worried if there was enough food, because if you've ever been to my house, you know I haven't inherited the genes that there's never too much food, so we always cook more than we ever need, so it wasn't that we were worried you were going to run out of food, we were worried you were going to run out of space, like where were you going to sit, there was never room at the table, my grandparents always sat there, and then my aunts and uncles and older cousins, they would claim the couches. And so, then for us younger kids, we were just blessed if we could find a piece of carpet on the floor and not get stepped on as our other cousins were running around and everybody was helping themselves to dinner. And so, Christmas and and Easter and Thanksgiving these were like fantastic memories for me just growing up with this huge extended family. And tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus too had this pretty pretty generous family. We know in the Bible it tells us that he was at le- he was one of at least seven kids. So we know Jesus was first, right? Right? You know Jesus was first because, right? Mary was a virgin and yeah, did you guys get that? Yeah, you got that. Okay. So Mary's a virgin. So we know Jesus is the firstborn son, and then there's other sons. We know there's four more, and we know for sure there's sisters. So there's at least two sisters, because it's plural. So there's at least seven kids that are in Jesus' family. And when he was growing up, I think it was probably a lot like when I would have this encounter with my family and all of our extended family and all of these people, we'd all come together and we'd gather together and we'd have these meals together. And, And in Jesus' time, Their families were bigger, and so you were very careful who you invited over, if you invited anybody over. Like, to be honest, in my family, we were happy if somebody was out of town, because that meant there was more space for us and more food for the rest of the family. And so in Jesus' day, they didn't invite a lot of people over because family gatherings were already so large. But they did sometimes have a guest, And if they had a guest over, it really communicated that this person was valuable, prestigious, important, and there was this communication that that I like this person, and so I'm including them into my family home. Well, Jesus, he just breaks all the molds, doesn't he? I just love him. I just love him. That he knows this, that people are watching to see who he's going to invite into community with himself. And he picks his He picks these 12 guys, these 12 disciples who become his apostles, who are fishermen and laborers and tax collectors, and even a radical zealot who actually wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And he was like that weird, crazy cousin that's like really extreme. Like Jesus even had one of those guys in his circle and at his table. And these were the the guys that maybe were the wrong kind of people, right? They were the ones that your mom would say, Oh, don't hang out with them. They're the wrong kind of people, right? And these were the people that Jesus chose to be his best friends. So he hangs out with them for three years. He's teaching them and discipling them and mentoring them. And then we come to this point in our story and it's, it's the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life and it's called the Passion Week. And so right before his crucifixion, the guys are all gathered around a table, and they're enjoying the Passover meal together. And this is Jesus' last meal, and, and he does something so incredible in that he leads them in communion. He doesn't call it communion, that's what we call it, but that's what it was. He established this remembrance of what he had done for humanity and what he had, what he had done for his friends and would do. And so he reminds them that his body will be broken for their sins. He reminds them that his blood will be poured out. And he he says this to establish that he is the fulfillment of the new covenant that would bond together God and humanity for all time. And so it's this incredibly vulnerable, probably I imagine very quiet, sacred moment. And then Jesus hints at his friends, that there is a betrayer at the table, that one of the 12 would betray him that night, that one of the apostles would hand Jesus over into the the hands of the enemy. And the apostle's reaction is, who could it be, right? Like, it can't be me. Like, I know it's not me who's going to betray Jesus, because I would never do that, right? So I know it's not me, so it must be you. It must be you. It must be you. And so the apostles start pointing their finger at each other, thinking, it can't be me. Say, it can't be me. It can't be me. Say, it must be you. It must be you, right? And they look suspiciously at each other. But what happens is that they don't focus very long on who the betrayer is. They quickly go to this conversation about who's going to be the greatest. So they weren't really talking about the least, who's the betrayer. They want to talk about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be beside Jesus? Who's going to be the favorite to Jesus? You see, the, the disciples, to, to kind of give a bit of context for them, these guys are oppressed Jewish men. They're living in a very cruel Roman world where the Romans have oppressed them and pushed them down. They are holding them back. They are holding them down. And the disciples think that Jesus is this radical leader that's going to take and overthrow the Roman government. And so they're in anticipation that I'm going to be greatest because I'm going to be beside the president, right? Jesus is going to be the new president and I get to be the vice president. And so that's what they're really talking about is because they have such a desire for radical change that their people would no longer be oppressed that they think, I want to be a ruler. I want to be in politics. I want to be a leader here. And so when Jesus says the time has come, they thought that Jesus meant he would sit on a throne of a world empire in Jerusalem and rule the world. They thought Jesus was going to pull them up out of that oppression. And so here they are bickering about who is going to be the greatest— And I don't know if you've got kids, but I know sometimes when my kids were little, they would fight, and they would bicker over something, and they would get into trouble, and they would point the finger at the other one, right? No, 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 it was your fault. No, it was your fault. Mom, it was Noah's fault. Mom, it was Trin's fault. Mom, it was Eden's fault. And everybody wanted to point the finger at somebody else and pass the buck. And there would be almost like this chaos of everybody kind of arguing and fighting over something that had happened in the family and I kind of think the disciples were almost behaving the same as little preschoolers that were fighting over position and jockeying for power and what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He does something so profound and so significant. Let's go to John chapter 13 and start at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Now, is that a room silencer or what? Can you imagine, right, those disciples are bickering over who is the greatest? Jesus doesn't get into that fight. He stands up, he gets the water, and he kneels down. Not only does he come from heaven to earth, but he comes from standing to a posture of humility before his disciples, and he washes their feet. That is a beautiful action, and it silenced the disciples. You see, in their culture, um, Jesus, as their leader, would never have washed the feet of somebody else, right? They've been following him for three years. He's their leader. He's their teacher. He's the master. And so he would never lower himself to the place of a servant or a slave and wash somebody else's feet. And that's what would happen in this Jewish culture, is that when you went to somebody's home for dinner, you did two things. One, you kissed them on the cheek, and two, you washed your feet. But you didn't wash your own feet There was a servant or a slave that was provided that would wash your feet for you. And so for some reason, the disciples' feet aren't washed, or maybe they are, and Jesus just washed their feet again to make a really big point. Humble yourself and serve one another. His actions speak louder than any words could have. And he continues to show them the extent of his love And he says in John 13, and we're going to go to verse 12. After washing their feet, he put his robe on again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, right? He has this position of authority. And you are right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, some of us might look at this scripture and think, okay, all right, so Pastor Kimmy, you're saying that I need to wash somebody else's feet. But you know what? Service isn't actually my spiritual gift. Like, I'm actually called to be a musician or a prophet or a teacher. Well, here's the thing what Jesus does in this scripture is he doesn't actually single out anybody with a specific gift. He says to all the disciples, and we know that if there's 12 of us, we're all different. We're all going to have different spiritual gifts, and some of us are going to have the gift of service, and some of us are not. But Jesus is speaking to all of us and saying, all of you, do as I have done to you. There was no exclusion for anybody. It was an example for every single one of us. Last week, um, my family and I were so honored to be a part of leading the family mission team down to the Okanagan Gleaners. Uh, We had 33 people, including us, from Gateway Church that went down to Oliver to serve at the Gleaners and to chop uh, vegetables and, and help make them into a dehydrated soup. And we were able to contribute to hundreds of thousands of servings of soup that were created last week. And um, as, as we did, uh, the week was just incredible with so many different testimonies of working together. And I have some of them to share with you. So let's watch this video. Hi, I'm Mitchell, and I really like talking and getting to know new people. Hi, um, my name is Sienna, and the thing I love most about the Gleaners is getting to help people that are starving in the world. Hi, my name is Jayden, and I just like working at Gleaners altogether. There was never a dull moment, so it was really awesome, a good experience. My name is Charlene Miting. I was very apprehensive about coming this week, but the the community and the joy that I've seen is just incredible, and the acceptance. I loved every minute of it. Hi, I'm Lucas. One thing I really enjoyed about the Gleaners was working together with everyone to accomplish a common goal. It's a pretty fun goal, I think. Hello, everyone. My name is Pendo, and this is my first time actually joining leaners and actually getting to know people so I'm just glad of being able to have the opportunity to be able to be a part of a bigger family to be also to also give to even other families and use this abundance abundance and create even opportunity for themselves so I'm just glad to be able to be part in this and get to know everyone because I'm also new to this and I just feel so welcomed and everybody was just so trusting of me and I'm just so thankful for that thank you <laughs> hi my name is victoria and one thing i love about the gleaners is when we come to serve here we come and work as a team and we become one big community right. hi i'm gabe and what i enjoyed about serving here at the gleaners is the community because they were all really fun and it made serving a lot more enjoyable to do Hi, I'm Talia, and one of my favorite things that I have loved about being at Gleaners is the community and the opportunity to be a part of something bigger. Hi, I'm Adriana, and my favorite thing about the Gleaners is being able to serve with other people. I'm Trinity, and oh gosh, the <laughs> And my favorite thing was uh, knowing that I'm making a difference. Um, hi, my name is Nanny. My favorite thing about Gleaners is the much fun that we have. As you can tell, I'm drenched. (laughs) Hi, my name is Caleb. And what I've liked about the Gleaners is how that the excess stuff from farmers and people in the community just gets to come here and it doesn't go to waste. And we just get to make soup out of it and send it off to people who really need it. I'm Ryan, and I love the community that we can be a part of at the Gleaners. My name is Mailey and one thing that I really loved about uh, this Okanagan Gleaners trip is just the sense of community that I've developed with this amazing group of people here. Hi, my name is Eden, and my favorite part of Gleaners is the big community. i'm ernest milton i really enjoyed coming down to the cleaners because i got to work and serve with my family and our church friends and family as well hi i'm josh pratt Uh, i i love getting to serve with uh, all my friends and just hang out and work really hard bless some other people i'm kelly i really enjoy working doesn't matter what the work is. It's just a lot more fun when you're with friends, and there's a really great group of people down here, and I really enjoyed it. And I love the beach. Hi everyone, my name is Faith Njaroge. I was, it was my first time to be here, and it was. I'm very happy to be here, and I just give thumb to the Gateway Church for putting us together. Thank you very much. This actually shows you the barrels um, that we put the dried soup mix into and then there it is boxed up and ready to go out globally. So pretty incredible to be a part of that. Now what I want you to kind of notice about those videos is what you did not hear. Did you hear any of those kids, which we ended up having 18 youth with us, did you hear any of those kids complain about a blister on their foot? Did you hear about any of those kids say, I'm just too tired? Did you hear, any of them say, my back hurt or it was too hot? No, they were so focused on community. It was such a blessing to go and to humble themselves and to serve somebody else that they were blessed abundantly more than they ever anticipated uh, by being there. It's pretty cool, pretty cool that we are raising up our kids to be uh, those with humble servant hearts. One of the other things that we did while we were at the Gleaners, uh, every night we would have a team meeting, Uh, it's a go, go, go week, it is a mission trip, we serve hard and we play hard every single day and in the evenings we have a team meeting and we come together and we talk about um, Jesus, do devotions, pray together, that kind of stuff and on one of the nights we actually did exactly what Jesus told us to do and we washed each other's feet. And so to be COVID-friendly, we had families washing families' feet. And I have some photos uh, that we'll just run through as I I keep talking. Uh, But it was an incredible thing to have parents start out and wash the feet of their children. So single moms were washing their kids' feet, and moms and dads were washing their kids' feet. And then uh, we switched spots, and kids were washing their parents' feet You see, serving somebody else, humbling ourselves, and actually being in the posture where we're lower, it does something to our heart. And it makes us vulnerable. And I believe it's in those vulnerable places where God can really do the most work. That's where there's an openness to the Spirit. To be able to teach us and shape us and to help us to look more like God and to be transformed and renewed and you know one of the things i love about the Okanagan Gleaners is that it's not this slick elaborate corporation that's mass producing soup it's not a production it's handcrafted it's homespun It's people who are so sold out to Jesus that they see that this little thing, like leftover vegetables, can give God glory and be a big thing. They don't see the challenge, the struggle, they don't get baffled by roadblocks. They see Jesus providing provision in the midst of problems, and they faithfully believe that God will provide a way. You see, they're not consumed by the goal to be great. They're not jockeying to see who is going to sit beside Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. They're engulfed in a passion to humbly serve. And what happens is that they feed nations because of that service. And you know, our 33 people that that went from Gateway, uh, our disciples that went and served... They didn't complain about jobs. They didn't ask if they could have some job that they thought was more valuable than the other. They just ran to serve. Every single day, they were early and they stayed late. You see, they moved in love. And I want you to say that with me. Move in love. Say it. Move in love. That's exactly what they did. You see, Jesus used a basin and filled it with living water to wash the disciples' feet and to refocus what they were looking at, what their eyes were looking at. He was resetting it. He's like, look here, look here. Imagine if you're sitting on a chair and someone is kneeling before you. What do you see? You see their eyes. And Jesus is like, refocus, reset. You're off track. It's not about being the greatest. It's not about being some prestigious position. It's about humbling yourself before God and loving others to move in love. This is how we live happy. Now, I have a question for you. What are you filling your bucket with? We all have a bucket. So what are you filling your bucket with? You will turn into whatever you fill your bucket with, Bob Goff says. He wrote this fantastic book that I recommend everybody always. And he says, you will turn into whatever you put in your bucket. So if you put work into your bucket, you're going to be a workaholic. If you put bitterness into your bucket, you're going to be grumpy and people aren't going to like being around you, right? If you put unforgiveness into your bucket, you're going to have a hardened heart. Whatever you put into your bucket is what you'll become. And Bob Goff always says, also says, if you fill it with a bunch of love, you'll actually turn into love. So let's evaluate. Let's take a look. What is in our bucket? What are some of the things that might be in our bucket? Well, I've got some here that I wrote out. Fear. Fear is probably in some of our buckets. Unhealthy relationships, probably in our bucket. And these are things that stop me from doing the work that Jesus wants me to do. Work stops me from doing the things Jesus wants me to do. Attachment to things stops me from doing Jesus stuff. Distractions. Oh, man, that's like so me. I'm so distracted. So distractible. Not enough time fills our bucket. Now... What happens if these are the things that I'm filling my bucket with? Now my friend calls me and she says, hey, I'm moving in a couple weeks, would you help me move, would you? Well, whatever I put in my bucket is what I'm pulling out of my bucket, okay? So here's a little experiment, and this is not planned. I'm just going to pull something out. So what am I going to pull out? Work. So my response to my friend is, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I have to work. Work is what I pull out of my bucket, and work is that important that I'm putting it before my relationship with you. What if there's a neighbour down the road who hasn't mowed their lawn in a couple months, and maybe it's because they just need some help. Maybe they're not well, maybe they're ill, and you think, hey, maybe I should go and mow that lawn. But whatever I put in my bucket is what I'm taking out of my bucket. So again, it's not planned, but here, what am I going to take out? not enough time. Nope. I can't go help my neighbor. I I just don't have enough time. See what happens? Whatever we put in our bucket is what we're going to take out of our bucket. So what do you want to put in there? Well, I don't want to take these things and have them in my bucket. I want to repent of these things. I want Jesus to take these things out and to cast them away because at the end of my life or at the end of this week, I don't want to be remembered as somebody who said no because she had to work. She said no because she didn't have enough time. Because you know what happens? Your friends will stop asking you. Your friends will stop including you in their life if you never have time for them. Now, what if instead we said we're going to move in love? Say, move in love. Move in love. So I'm going to put love in my bucket. And now when my friend says, hey, Kimmy, would you come help me move? I'm going to be like, yeah, baby. I am there for you. I'm going to move in love, and I'm there. Right? When I see that neighbor down the road who needs their their grass mowed, I'm going, because I'm going to move in love, right? Say it with me, move in love. You are not feeling it. Say it, move in love. That's a little better, little better. Church, whatever we put in our bucket is what we're going to take out and give to somebody. You see, this week, I did an experiment, and Bob Goff actually gave me this idea from his book. He found that he often was impatient with people. He often said no to people. He was often not available for people. And so he decided to get himself a bucket and just to carry it around with him as a tangible reminder that he wanted to move in love. So I did that this week. I got myself a bucket out of our motorhome, and I have taken this bucket with me everywhere for the last four days. And do you know what's happened? I I had to repent of all that stuff because I found I was responding with, yeah, they they do need some help, but I don't have time. Or I'm too tired. I don't really feel like it. And I repented of those things, took them out of the bucket, and put God's love inside there. And God started to open up opportunities for me to love other people. And, you know, I I thought about sharing them with you, but I don't want you to think I'm all that in a bag of chips because I'm not. Because I'm not. I'm struggling with this just as much as every single one of us. I need the reminder that God has called me to move in love. I need this tangible reminder that I need to like hang off of my neck and wear every single day. Kimmy, move in love. This is what Jesus has said. He made it so clear. He didn't give us an option. He's like, go and do what I do, and I move in love. You see, if we're looking for love, we're gonna find it because we find whatever it is that we're looking for. If we're looking for prestige and power, we're gonna find it. If we're looking for a better job, we're gonna find it. The whole hearts of COVID 2020, how many thousands of posts are on Facebook because people were looking for hearts? Well, none of us saw hearts before COVID. Well, maybe a few of us that are a little wacky, but most of us never saw a heart outlined on our cat's fur coat, right? Like we didn't. But as soon as our attention was brought to it and we were looking for it, we saw it. Well, what if we had this bucket and we're looking for love? We're looking for opportunities. Jesus, how can I move in love? Well, I gotta be looking for it. I gotta be looking for those opportunities. And we do that when we connect with Jesus. We have got to connect with Jesus, church. You know, when I was driving here tonight, I was praying, the greatest thing that you would go home with today is that I need to connect more with Jesus. We just need him. We need him more in our lives. And you know, I have a short attention span and a really short memory. My husband and I are on a race to see who is going to forget things faster, who's going to be taking care of who because Alzheimer's is going to be rampant in our house because we're already like so forgetful. Well, I quickly forget the things that I'm supposed to do. And so I need to be connected to God, not like once a week not twice a week, every single day, over and over again, because my attention span is so short. I need this blaring bucket in front of my view. Kimmy, move in love. You see, revival starts with me. It starts in my heart. And when I'm passionate about Jesus, when I'm in the Word of God, and this is my favorite book that I just can't put down, When I am talking to God, when I am praying, when I'm in those intimate places with him, revival happens in my heart. It starts right here. There's a renewal. There's a rejuvenation. There's new life. And then guess what happens? You get blessed. You get blessed by the rejuvenation and the renewal of my heart. And it's not even that I'm intending it. But what happens is the atmosphere changes right? The Spirit of God changes me, and I rub shoulders against you, COVID-friendly, and the Spirit of God starts to rub off on you, and you start to get renewal, and you rub off on me, and that's what happens when we are connected to God, when we are sold out to connecting to Him, because then we have eyes to see so easily, I know who I'm supposed to love, I know I'm supposed to go and help that person with that thing and yeah you know what I'm pretty tired I don't really feel like it but I'm gonna go because I'm so connected to Jesus that I hear his voice and I know that he's calling me to go and to love that person you see we got to participate right God wants us to participate don't just agree with Jesus actually do what he says who agrees with Jesus here Yeah, I think we all do, right? Those are the red letters in the Bible. We agree with the red letters. We agree with the word of God. Don't just read it. Don't just agree with him. Go and actually do what he says. And if that means for you that tonight you need to physically wash the feet of somebody in your home so that there's this humbleness in you, because it's not for their benefit, and don't make it about that. It's about you and your heart. It's about God breaking the pride in your heart that you would humble yourself before somebody else, not as a show, no spotlights, just go and love them. Humble yourself, serve them, wash their feet. I tell you, I get emotional when I think of my husband washing my feet. If you want to know what it's like to serve somebody and to have the gift of serving, follow my husband around for a day. If you're like, I'm not too sure how to serve people and love people, just follow that guy. That guy has a heart of service for people. He humbly loves people. What is one of the best things that you can do when you leave here tonight? Well, you might think wear a mask or use hand sanitizer or wash your hands. The best thing that you can do when you leave here is get connected to Jesus. You need to be connected to Jesus. Allow him to dream in you, to speak to you, to unlock a heavenly language in you, that you would read the word and have an understanding or have mentors and people around you that give you understanding, the greatest thing you can do is get connected to Jesus. You know, if you look around um, at our church, there's a lot of people that are really good at loving other people. And when I did my little experiment and took my bucket around with me, I noticed something. I'm really good at loving people around me. I'm actually really good at it. Really good at loving my family. Really good at loving my friends. But God challenged me. He's like, are you loving the people that aren't uh, the people that love you? Are you loving people that you don't agree with? Are you loving the people that are messy? Are you loving people like at the beginning, right? Jesus chose the wrong people. Are you loving the wrong kind of people? And man, that humbled me because I'm not. Church, I'm not. And I want to. I want to. And I hope that you do too. I hope you do too. I wanted to just give a few quick examples of people in our church that love so radically you know, I mentioned, um, I mentioned my husband. <laughs> He's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but when we were down at the Okanagan Gleaners, we had a whole ton of challenges with our motorhome, and our friend Paul was there, and he just like jumped in. He like never hesitated. He just humbly served us and jumped in to love us. Uh, there's a mom that goes to our church here. She has three kids, and they stop by a couple times a week to clean up garbage and needles around our church. They they just do it because they humbly serve. One of my dear friends, her name is Maureen, and when I want to do something with her, I have to book like weeks in advance because she's so busy helping people. She has such a heart to serve other people, to love people, and to do it with, with just this humble heart. My friend Sarah, she goes to the Salvation Army and serves there and loves people there like every single week. I could just go on and on and on. Pastor Greg and Carla, have you met them? They're the first to get here and the last to arrive. I know if I need anything that they're there. These are people right here in our midst that we can learn from. And so if we're not real great at humbly serving, let's not seek a position anywhere up here. Let's seek a position standing beside them, serving and loving people the way that God has called us to. Jesus, he got up from the table and he took a basin, maybe kind of like a bucket, and he poured living water into it and he washed the disciples' feet. He didn't wash their feet with mud or sand or bitterness, Or unforgiveness or judgment. He just humbly washed their feet. So, church, I hope you'll join me and that we can just empty our buckets and ask God to move in love, to fill that with love so we can love other people. I'm gonna ask if you wanna respond and you're like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm gonna ask, actually, not that you stand. I think we're going to, let's kneel. So if you want to respond and that you want to ask Jesus to empty your bucket, if you're physically able, I just ask for you just to kneel down. And let's just pray this together. Oh, Jesus, we repent. Jesus, we repent of all of the things that we have put into our bucket. Distractions and pride and sin and work, busyness and tiredness, Lord God. We repent of all of these things, Jesus, whatever they are. And we just ask, Lord God, that you would just empty that bucket. That you would forgive us, Jesus, for our sin. Forgive us. And Lord God, we thank you that you have all power and authority to forgive. You have all power and authority to empty that bucket, Lord Jesus. We praise you for that. There is just none like you. There is none like you, Jesus. You are so good. And we pray that you would fill our bucket, Lord God. I pray for just an overwhelming, powerful anointing upon us right now, Lord God. Just wash us clean, Father, and fill us with your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, that we would not be one step out of line from you, that we would be so connected to you. So fill us, Jesus. Fill us with your Spirit to overflowing, Lord God. We worship you. We thank you. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.